The financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions. Welcome to another edition of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic, here with Joe Biscaglia of The Athletic. Joey Jojo's joining us. No Jonah Bronstein. That's a lot of J's right there in a row. A lot of, a lot of Joes. It could have been Joey Jojo Joe. Nah. Right. Had sure. I thought about it, I could have worked something up, but I'm not good on the fly. Joe Biscaglia, of course, covers the Buffalo Bills for The Athletic, and he also hosts uh, the Buffalo Beat podcast and uh, will be reunited once things are settled down with uh, The Athletic's Sabres beat writer, Matthew Fairburn, uh, who uh, we've had him on the show since the change, but for those who are maybe just uh, the occasional listener, Matthew Fairburn. Uh, had worked with us uh, covering uh, the Bills, uh, left to go cover the New England Patriots in his uh, hometown area of Boston, and is now coming back to Western New York to cover the Sabres. I get, before we get into the Bills, Joe, how do you envision the Buffalo Beat podcast looking? Uh, because it's pretty cool now. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, Matt, Matt Beauvais knows the Sabres very well, but you're going to have, instead of two Bills reporters, you and Matthew Fairburn are now able to speak both languages. In, in fact, that was what TSN used to call it when I worked for them up in Toronto, bilingual. Uh, Tim, we like you because you're bilingual. We can have you on to, to talk about the NFL, but if uh, the Maple Leafs uh, make, an, make an, a transaction, you can, you can talk hockey too. So uh, what, what's the vision for the new Buffalo Beat podcast? Yeah, well, like I, I'm just jazzed up to have Matthew back in town because he's, I mean, you know, he's just a great dude, great coworker. You know, it's just he's he's just one of the best out there. And um, getting him back is awesome because it takes us back to the roots of the podcast of when you know I originally first started it up. Fairburn was, you know, I think he hooked on, you know, pretty close to the start, and then we just took that thing and ran with it, and we've been you know, last year, notwithstanding, because obviously he was away. Uh, we have been doing that show for, you know, five, six years. So it's, it's, it's really cool to, to get him back and, and be able to do it. And yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to watch more hockey this year <laughs> is, is yeah. what it's going to boil down to um, to keep up. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've been reading everything he's been writing so far. Uh, and, you know, I always love the off season stuff and it seems like it's kind of a cool thing. It's still mostly going to be a bill show just because, you know, oh that's, yeah oh, yeah yeah what <laughs> does he know this oh yes yes he does he does oh. he's 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 good he's good at speaking both languages um as well and uh people are know. gonna put the stopwatch to the show though it'll oh, be yeah. like uh sure when, maybe when the different uh media analysts or columnists want to see uh, who's talking about trump 
Uh, who's talking about uh, January 6th? Mm -hmm. uh, let's time it. Let's see what they're doing on Fox. Let's see what they're doing on CNN and compare. Yeah. Their people are going to run the stopwatch on Sabres discussion versus Bill's discussion. Yeah, yeah. I, and it, it is an exciting time for the Sabres, no doubt. I, I think uh, I'm excited to, to chat a little bit more Sabres. Like, you know, maybe... Uh, yeah, I couldn't even put a number on it, but if there's something compelling going on with the Sabres, we'll, we'll surely bring that stuff up. But the, you know, the football season is just so ridiculously condensed that, um, like, there's always something to talk about in in a in a weekly forum. Same thing with the with the Sabres, no doubt. But their their season is a little bit more spread out. Um, but but yeah, we're I'm anticipating having to spend some nights watching the hockey team, knowing what the hell's going on, knowing who the hell's on the team. I'm just kidding. Um, and, and figuring out uh, how this thing's going to look. Cause it's a lot of it is going to be kind of like fig figuring it out as we go, because this is going to be the first time he's covering something different than I am. Um, and we're doing the show, but there's still a lot of crossover because you know, same ownership group, um, pretty similar uh ways of building a team it's seeming like between kevin adams and you know trying to copycat brandon bean and everything he's done just in the hockey sense um so i, I think there will be some definite crossover there yeah i'm excited to have matthew uh covering it again uh, big shoes to fill with john vogel who, oh yeah for uh, sure covered him for so long in fact he covered him for so long we covered him together at the buffalo news um but uh you know the saying uh that uh Sabre season doesn't begin until the Bills season is over. Yeah. And even in the great Sabres years uh, that I experienced, uh, John Vogel and I together, both covering them, um, that was like the exception. And the Bills were in their drought years. They were awful. So 05, 06, 06, 07, yes, the Sabres took the forefront. But you even go back to the Hashik years mm -hmm. um, when they had the greatest player in the world. The guy was winning Hart trophies. Uh, the fans just wouldn't start truly paying attention to the Sabres until the bills were done. And uh, so I think that regardless of the excitement that is relatively high about mm -hmm. the Sabres compared to the past 10, 15 seasons, which is a, that's hard. It's hard to fathom when you yeah. say 10, 15 seasons. Um that uh, as relatively high as the excitement level is, um, the Bills are just going to dominate. Yeah. Saber season is going to begin in February sometime if, if, uh, if Bills fans are get, get, uh, get, get what they want. Absolutely. And, you know, even when like the Sabres were still going near the end of their season, people have just been dialed in even to the offseason stuff with, with the Bills. I mean, that's one of the, I mean, I've been, covering the bills for a kind of a, a bit now, this will be my 13th season. And you know, just seeing the appetite that the off season presents for every little possibility, it's just, it's kind of wild uh, to see. And it's, it's only gotten bigger <laughs> since, since I started in 2010. So. Well, it's game week, Joe. I, yeah, mean, I know the, the bills play the Indianapolis Colts at Highmark stadium. And uh, it always strikes me when I see the, the kickoff time, uh, it's a 4 p.m. kick. This is not a nighttime game. You're, we're used to that in the preseason. Uh, mm -hmm. We're also used to things like Thursday night games in the preseason. No, this is Saturday, uh, Saturday, Friday are the three Bills games. Four o'clock kickoff against Indianapolis, a one o'clock kickoff against Denver, and then the game at Carolina 
the, the preseason finale. Uh, that one is uh, at 7 p.m. But 4 p.m., uh, get your mindset for Saturday. Don't think that you're going to be, you know, leaving your house at 3.30 mm-hmm. uh, to tailgate for a little bit and then uh, wander into the stadium. This game kicks off at 4. Um, Joe, you've been out of practice every day, and I know that this is a broad strokes question, uh, and there are still some uncertainties in regard to who's going to play and how much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll just start off with a general question. You could take this however you, uh, whichever direction you want to go. When you think of four o'clock Saturday, what are you most looking forward to taking in? Not necessarily uh, a positive or a negative, yeah. but just what are you looking forward to finally learning? Without question, it is how the cornerbacks are going to look in a game setting because. I, I think it, it started out early in the camp and, you know, you don't want to jump the gun too early with uh, e- even in, with the position itself, because there's just so many different things. And because it was such a long buildup to padded practices, you didn't want to go too overboard with uh, being critical about, about what's going on at that position. But since the pads have gone on and, and it's kind of been consistently a thing, I have been, you know, pretty underwhelmed by the play of both Kair Elam, the first round pick and Dane Jackson, uh, the incumbent player. Um, and it's, it, I don't think it's just me because they've got a sixth round rookie by the name of Christian Benford, who has virtually come out of nowhere. And since the pads have gone on over the last four or five practices has put himself into a legitimate conversation about whether or not he could start to begin week one, which, you know, the bills don't usually like to play rookies in general. And the fact that he has charged up as much as he has, I mean, he's someone that Brandon Bean brought up uh, uh, without, without uh, being prompted on an interview with NFL network. Uh, I believe it was yesterday. Uh, And it's just, they, they have really liked what they've seen from him. So Let's let's really yeah. stop on Benford there for a second. Sure. Let's maybe drill down a little bit. Uh, how much do you think it is Elam being disappointing uh, versus Benford really being a surprise? Because when you're a drafted in the sixth round, the Bills themselves probably aren't expecting this guy to make the roster mm-hmm. aside from the practice squad. Yeah, I think I think it's probably a fair bit of both. Um, you know, it's, I'm not I'm not going to sit here and you know, absolutely roast Kyir Elam because I actually thought he had a, a nice rep on let's see what day is today Tuesday he he had a nice rep on Monday the most recent practice and in one on ones against Stefan Diggs it was his most competitive rep that I've seen from him in in a handful of practices here and that was a flash so I'm, I'm not saying that the book is written on him so but he has been getting pretty consistently beaten. Um, and I think part of it is the position and the difficulty of it. I think the other part of it is who he's going up against and maybe he, it's kind of a complex defense for, for cornerbacks. So perhaps he's just, uh, he's swimming a little bit and it's, it's more of thinking through the play while the play is going on rather than, uh, reacting without hesitation and knowing where you need to be and when you need to be there. And there a lot of bills fans are saying and media, I even made a joke about it on the Buffalo kickoff live show, the most recent one uh, over the weekend um, that uh, Sundays or whichever game day, the bills have 
Thursday, uh, which would be the opener, Monday nights, whatever it is, might feel like a day off for Kair mm-hmm. Elam. Mm-hmm. However, the Rams are pretty good. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's, it's exactly. not as though, hey, because I think there are a lot of fans that are saying, oh, he's getting drilled every day. Uh, he is going through these reps against elites and he's going to be polished. Well, he's going up against elites during these games, too. And I was kind of just making a joke, but um, and I, and I kind of let it linger out there and I probably should have followed up at this point, you know, but, mm-hmm. you know, Lamar Jackson uh, is a former MVP. Uh, you know, they have good quarterbacks that they're going to be going up against. Um, Patrick Mahomes, decent. Yeah. Um, so he might stick around. Kair Elam, um, just because he's going up against great receivers every day doesn't mean that he's he's going to just take control uh, yeah. once the, once uh, the real games are played. Yeah, he he doesn't. To me, he doesn't get a pass for who he's going up against in practice because when you flip it to what Christian Benford has been able to do, I've seen like more consistently solid reps from him going up against those guys when he's gotten those opportunities um, than I have from Elam. And it's not to say Elam can't get there or what, what have you, but you know, you just, you just want to see a little bit more. You want to see him pass the eye test just a little bit more. Maybe he gets there. I mean, all the bones of what, of what it should be a pretty good starter are there. I mean, the size, the speed, uh, the, the fluid hips to be able to, to run with players down the field. Um, he's good at the catch point when he's there. Uh, so I think it's just a matter of, reacting rather than thinking too much. That's, that's what it really boils down to for me. And when he gets to that point, I think he has the the potential to be a good player, but you just look at what like, and I keep bringing up Benford, but Benford just looks like poised and smooth out there. And there is one play. It's not like he's coming from, um, you know, a, a football factory. Villanova is not known for, you know, having a lot of uh, opening day starters uh, as rookies. Yeah, I, I made the joke because, like, you can tell Sean McDermott kind of got the the sparkle in his eye when Benford came up uh, in a press conference. And I'm like, oh, Christian Benford is totally his new Levi Wallace now. Small school guy, uh, under-recruited, um, the great story, and the underdog story that McDermott just loves to loves to really trumpet the story of th- throughout his tenure. Um, yeah, so there, there's some major league uh, Levi to Christian potential here, um, but he has looked pretty good. Um, and, you know, I'm sure there's a bit of the evaluation where it's like, okay, you're, maybe you're expecting more of Kair Elam. So there's more proclivity to be disappointed. Whereas Christian Benford, you weren't um, expecting as much. So maybe, maybe he's catching you surprise and that's why he's looking good. But honestly, if, if you just remove the names and remove the draft picks, I would look at them on a practice to practice basis and go, Oh, they're pretty even um, right now. And maybe Benford's just a little bit more ahead of where Elam is right now, but I think there's more potential for Elam to supersede whatever Benford could become. Where do we think Dane Jackson is in the pecking order? And let's leave Tredavious White out of it because yeah. uh, I think it's a safe assumption that the Bills are going to have to figure out a way without Tredavious White for a little while. We don't know exactly how long, uh, but until he's able to get on the field, A, and play up to uh, into a comfort level where he has the confidence in that 
uh, surgically repaired knee B, uh, that um, they're going to have to rely on these three, four guys that we've been talking about. Dane Jackson mm-hmm. played all 17 games last year, a lot of special teams, uh, four starts or something like that, mm-hmm. um, I think, at corner uh, after Tredavious White was out uh, and into the playoffs. But like you say, uh, you know, Dane Jackson maybe not having uh, – the most sparkling camp either yeah it, it the, the whole issue with him has just been inconsistency and we've we've kind of heard with six um, starts i'm sorry i want to correct the record six starts yeah. for uh for dan yeah, jackson he, he had those he two he had those two as a practice squad guy i think uh, his rookie year um you you kind of hear leslie frazier when he talks about cornerbacks about you know having prototypical height and length I mean, Dane Jackson really isn't that guy. Like, he's got super short arms, but he's kind of played his way in, into a prominent role here. And I think if you had to ask me, like, if they if they are starting week one today, I think Dane Jackson is probably in the starting lineup. I'm not sure who the other guy would be, uh, but because they know, they at least know what they're getting with him. They know that he's a good run defender and that he's going to chip in and can read plays that, and he, they know that he knows the system a lot better than both those other rookies. So still got a long way to go. This is it's August 9th season doesn't start till September 8th. So we can see a lot more as we kind of go forward here. But um, Dane to me has probably been the most consistent of the group, but that's, kind of the concern <laughs> because when you have just this these, is his third nfl season yeah so he, he does have that going for him obviously. absolutely when you have like these big questions and just you're going up against dynamite offenses throughout the afc you know the some of some of their opponents maybe notwithstanding but for the most part pretty darn good and you're looking at potentially having Dane Jackson and a rookie or two rookies starting for you, you're going to need that pass rush to handle their business early on because yeah. it could, it could end up being long days. And I think there's the potential where until Tredavious white gets back and who knows, maybe after he gets back, because we don't know what, what kind of player he'll be coming off a, a torn ACL. I think there is major potential for, the whole emphasis of the defense and what we have seen seen them be so prolific with over the past two, three years, that being the secondary and shutting people down that way, uh, whereas expect, wanting more from the pass rush, I kind of think that could be flipped this year where the pass rush is getting after it. But if the pass rush isn't getting home, then I think there could, there could be some bad beats down the field. I, I'm sure that there are some listeners who would love for us to do a, an entire rundown of the roster uh, position group by position group. And we're not going to do that, but let's round out the secondary because yeah. it is so critical uh, with uh, Jordan Poyer's left elbow injury. Um, and he's expected to be back by the opener, but still he's missing time. Micah Hyde has missed some time. He's back out there now, yeah. but um, I think that it's good for the bills defense at this position for a couple of non-starters to be getting a lot of these practice reps and Jaquan Johnson and DeMar Hamlin uh, with the first team a lot. Again, I said Micah Hyde's back. Uh, But um, Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer aren't two guys that other than being sharp, they don't necessarily need these reps. This defense has been in place 
Sean McDermott has been here for years. Leslie Frazier has been here for years. These guys know the defense frontwards and backwards. If there's a silver lining, it is that Johnson and Hamlin are getting these reps at a position that is so critical in case uh, one or both. Well, you'd hate that would be disaster, actually, if the Bills mm -hmm. were in the regular season to lose both Poyer and Hyde. But um, the position is so important uh, to this Bills defense uh, that I think that that is a positive. However, let's say uh, let's say that the Bills do have to go without Poyer or Hyde because something else happens. Again, I'm not throwing in any kind of I'm not saying that there's I have any inside info that these guys aren't going to be ready. They're going to be ready. But I'm just saying taking into consideration everything that we've just said about the cornerbacks, the safeties are that security blanket of, mm -hmm. and, and I think that fans have been like, Hey man, Tredavious white, it's, it's going to be okay. And I think that the bills obviously were banking on these safeties too, when they let Levi Wallace go uh, that they've kind of taken a calculated risk that these safeties are going to be there for them to backstop this defense. What if one of those guys are gone? Where do you think that puts the secondary uh, until Tredavious White is uh, has proven that he's he's back. Yeah, I I have often thought about what it could look like if one of those guys wasn't out there, and and who Johnson and Hamlin, by the way, both sixth round draft picks. So yeah. not a, not a lot of high pedigree there. Special right. teams action, that type of stuff. Not not a lot of defensive snaps. Yeah, I I, I have wondered. What what loss would be more impactful to the starting lineup? Would it be Micah Hyde or Jordan Poyer? And I think where I ultimately come back to is Micah Hyde every time. Um, and that's not to say Poyer is is a bad player. I think Poyer's role you can get by with a replacement player more so than the instincts, the recognition, the feel that Micah has in, in, in the deep middle of that defense. He takes away so much, and he has for such a long time, and the Bills don't get tested a lot down there. And it's not an every snap thing where he's just in the deep middle, Jarris Bird style, like waiting to pick off passes. There, there are some times where him and Jordan Poyer will switch, and, and Poyer will play the free safety role, and Micah Hyde will come up uh, closer to the line of scrimmage just to vary things up. But for the most part, Hyde is back in in, uh, in the deep middle or or shaded to one side or the other, and he's just awesome for how he's able to help take away some of the top targets. Um, how he's able to chip in, read read everything, read and react. He's a great last line of defense when a run gets by the linebackers. He's he's always been really consistent in that in that respect. So I think he would be the tougher one to replace. But but yeah, it, it would it would definitely be a bit of a a learning curve if they had to go through the season with or go through any portion of the season with Hyde and Jaquan Johnson plus the two young cornerbacks, whoever they may be. Jaquan Johnson, I will say, has stepped up his game this summer. He, you know, right when the offseason was happening, Brandon Bean was talking about those backup safeties and and he said something to the uh, to the point of you know, DeMar, we've really liked what DeMar Hamlin did at the end of last year, and we think he can push Daquan Johnson. Johnson probably heard that and went, okay, we'll see. I mean, Johnson is someone that they were pretty high on in his first couple of years. Obviously, he's not getting in the lineup because Poyer and Hyde are healthy all the damn time. But um, 
Johnson looked really good in preseason games and practices. Uh, the his rookie season when he got in in the final week of the season, he had a toe tapping interception along the left sideline that was disallowed because of a. Gosh, I don't even remember the cornerback's name. It was a, a veteran cornerback. He took a bad penalty um, and and negated the interception. But I mean, the impression was made, and he's he's more of the more in the hide mold than he is the Poyer mold. But I think he can do a bit of both. He's a big hitter. Um, I, I think he's really done well to assert himself this summer to the point where I think they feel comfortable with him if if they need to put him in the lineup. But that doesn't rule out Demar Hamlin totally because he's still been working in. And I think um, it gives them a bit of of a potential for a for a past 2022 suitor at a reduced cost, because I'm still unsure what the heck is going to happen with Jordan Poyer. I don't know if they're going to put a Band-Aid on it, give him some more money this year. I don't know if they're going to give him another year extension. Doesn't sound like that they're really itching to give him like this lucrative deal that, that he wants. So with Jaquan Johnson, who's in his contract year, kind of sets up as an opportunity to go where they're like, okay, well, let's see what he has. Maybe sign him to a low cost two to three year deal. And if he's a starter, great. You got him on a, on a super nice deal. And if he's not, then you figure things out elsewhere. So I think there's a major opportunity for Jaquan Johnson here in the preseason while Poyer's out. And if, if either of those guys has to miss any time. What has been the best position group so far in training camp? Hmm. That's a good question. I mean, outside of quarterback, because that Josh Allen guy is pretty good. Um, probably defensive tackle. Um, those guys have been awesome so far in camp. Ed Oliver has just been a complete wrecking ball um, through practice. He's constantly in the backfield. Uh, Daquan Jones, I think, has had a really st strong camp, but you don't talk a lot about him just because he's not usually the pass rusher, get up the field guy. Just super consistent, holds his spot. I think he's going to be really good for run defending, and, and he can occasionally get in the backfield. Tim Settle has flashed. Jordan Phillips obviously has that potential to get into the backfield. And what I like about three of those four guys, jo J Daquan Jones is probably more of like the – the prototypical run stuffing one technique guy, but I think settle Oliver and Phillips can all play both positions. If you need them to Ed Oliver for as much acclaim that he gets as a pass rusher and his explosiveness, the watch him on run plays where he gets double teamed and he has to play the one technique role. The dude just turns, turns himself into an absolute tree trunk where he's not getting moved. He's taking on double teams and he's somehow doing it with shorter arms, and um, and he's only 290 pounds going up against 310, 320, 330 pound guards. Like it's it's kind of astounding how strong he is, how strong his legs are to be able to sit there and and hold those guys. So he can do it, but obviously he's the pass rusher. Uh, Tim Settle, I think, is going to be a fun piece for them moving moving him around, maybe on uh, passing downs. Jordan Phillips, obviously, he, we we know what he can do from his time in Buffalo. So yeah, that that group has been really strong in my estimation still have to find out if it's like a, if they're doing it because the bills offensive line has been in complete flux the entire camp or yeah, that was, really I was going to ask good. what's that, you know, cause you're playing against a lot of uh, backups yeah. or guys who are being moved around, but Hey, um, 
they're NFL players. Yeah. And they're pretty good ones. They're getting paid too. And yeah. it does seem as though the defensive line has been dominant uh, on a pretty consistent basis. Um, what, what's the most intriguing, uh, just to, let's get a little offensive talk in here. What's your sure. most intriguing position group or battle? Maybe it's even a, a certain one, two, uh, competition on the offensive side. I mean, the easy answer is running back. Yeah. Well, running back for sure. I, I think, I think that backfield and, you know, fantasy football, people are going to hate this. I think that backfield has a complete potential to just be an absolute mess this year. Um, in terms of fantasy, like, a fan, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Productive, uh, sure. all their different roles, a mishmash. Absolutely. Uh, if, hey, if that you, can, uh, the Patriots won Super Bowls with that approach. So that's, exactly. that's not necessarily a bad thing for, uh, for wins and losses, but probably stay away from these guys in your fantasy draft. I think it's one of those things where if you mash all their stats together, you're like, Hey, that's a good rushing day. But separately, when you have to depend on one, <laughs> I don't know. It's going to be great um, because of Zach Moss. And how about this? I'll, I'll pose uh, this question. Uh, who uh, will anyone have more rushing yards than Josh Allen this year? Yes, I think they will. I, right. I think I, I do. And this is a topic that we've gotten into in the past. It, I do think they're, they're uh, very well. It could be a concerted effort to rush him less this year. We've been saying that. Yeah. It's, and, then, uh, and then there he goes. Well, I mean, it's a little different this year because Dable's out of the picture. Um, and I think it's it's less about the scrambles and more about the designed runs than anything that maybe they scale those back. He had more uh, rushing yards than ever last year. More rushing yards and more carries. Right. Also an extra game, but be it as it may. Um, he had 20 more carries than the year before in one more game. That would be a hell of a game. <laughs> and uh, three, 342 more yards. So that one game yeah. uh, would... Uh, 20 for 342, pretty good. Yeah, that would be a record, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, the, I, I do, because of the Dorsey effect, maybe that they might go with more two tight end stuff. Um, you know, he's become a much more important asset in their overall trajectory where it's like, okay, well, we you don't really want to mess around this year. I, I, I still think Singletary will probably lead the team in rushing. I don't know if it'll be pronounced. Um, they still like Zach Moss, and he's come back. And the thing everyone forgets about Zach Moss is he was coming back from a pretty sucky foot injury that he had to get surgery on, and it, it happened in, in the playoffs in 2020. Um, they call that suck foot. Suck foot. That's, yes. that's what that's known in uh, medical <laughs> terms. <laughs> um, he up until the point where he got injured in that playoff, he was their best back and right, right in the end of the season. So they remember that he came back this past year, you know, maybe he was still trying to work back from the injury that, that kind of slowed him down early in the year, suffered a concussion at some point in the middle of the season. Um, and then they made him the healthy scratch against new Orleans. But at, once they brought him back from being inactive, that one game down the stretch there, in limited opportunities, he, he started to look more like the guy that he was in 2020. So they're not they're not done with Zach Moss, and he's still under contract next year. So I think is this could just be a complete schmozzle. I think there's a there's a potential where you see James Cook out there um, on passing downs, but his pass blocking has been great. 
I think there's potential where maybe you see either Singletary or Moss in the backfield, and maybe James Cook is lined up out wide because we've seen Washington do that with J.D. McKissick occasionally. Um, I think there is potential for Cook to have like, you know, maybe a RB plus role. I just don't know how big that's going to be and how many snaps they're going to dedicate to him when they've got guys like um, Isaiah McKenzie, Jameson Crowder, uh, obviously Stefan Diggs and Gabriel Davis that, that they want to get the ball to. So it's just a matter of figuring it out. And yeah, I, I, I'd probably stay away if it's me in, in fantasy terms, but you know, if, if Mount, if Moss comes in and, and underperforms, it could reduce it to a two back roll. And then, then you start to get the Singletary and cook production, but you know, everything we have seen, everything, that they've indicated through actions in practice uh, goes to show that Zach Moss is still very much in the picture here. Just to get creative with uh, the way I'm asking these questions. uh, If you were, let's just say, because a lot of people can speak in fantasy uh, terms uh, you're uh, in your fantasy league and two bills receivers are off the board. Who's the third one that comes off the board? I think we know one and two, but yeah, three. Con- confined to wide receiver or are we talking any pass catcher uh, wide receiver okay Isaiah McKenzie without okay. hesitation um, I-, I think w- the one talking point that they've had for basically since they they came back in the spring is talking about yards after catch yards after catch and and how much that they wanted to improve in that area. Josh Allen said he went back and worked on his accuracy um, over the middle of the field to help improve on that, to to give his guys more of a chance to get upfield. The difference between Isaiah McKenzie and Jamison Crowder is that one, you know exactly what you're getting with Jamison Crowder because he's going to be where he needs to be almost all the time, but you're not going to get much after the catch with Isaiah McKenzie that potential exists because of how quick he is, how much he can burn man coverage. He's gotten a lot better against zone coverage, can make people miss in the open field. Uh, I, that's why I think they are leaning towards Isaiah McKenzie being the starter, despite him being out the last couple of practices. He was great at the start of camp. He's playing as confidently as, as I can remember. Uh, his hands have looked superb. It hasn't really been any concentration drops or anything like that. I, I think that and it might be a little bit of a lesser role than what we're used to with the slot receiver, just because I do think they want to use more two tight end stuff. Um, Isaiah McKenzie, to me, would be the third guy and at least worthy of a, you know, if you're in PPR format, dart throw at, at the end of the draft, I would I would take him over Jamison Crowder near the end of the draft just for the potential alone, because. I mean, even if Jamison Crowder ends up playing, I mean, I would much rather have a guy who has great yards after catch on an elite offense like Isaiah McKenzie uh, than I would just a just a chain mover in Jamison Crowder um, that, you know, still might get his snaps eaten into by by McKenzie. And you could easily drop either of those guys, obviously. Does Cody Ford make this roster? You know, it's funny. I'm I'm going to be sitting down to do my post-camp 53-man roster in the next couple of days here. And Don't give it away if you want to have be suspenseful. 
I, he's the one I'm really give struggling it, with. Give it, give the pros and cons for us. Yeah, he he. Without I'm giving really, us your final verdict because we want people to check it out. Yeah, of course. I'm just struggling with him because I don't know that he has outplayed some of the other reserve guys, but we also know that he is capable of some some good days if he has to get in the lineup. The pros are, you know, he's got an elite physicality to him. They he know they know exactly what they're getting with him. Um, he's at a pretty low cost in terms of his contract, and and they know that if they needed to plug him in, they could probably uh, do well enough because they have seen it over the past several years. The cons are he is not a versatile player, and they stress versatility. He's pretty much a guard only. Um, there has been some moving of him to the outside bits and pieces here in camp it has not gone well so and he's not a center so you're basically saying okay you're keeping him as a guard whereas a lot of the other pieces like greg manns who can play center in both guard spots uh bobby hart can play tackle and both guard spots um tommy doyle has been working inside a guard occasionally and can play both tackle spots david quesenberry can play four of the five spots not including center if you've got Cody Ford, you have to really believe in his talent to say that he is worthy of a roster spot ahead of some of those other more versatile guys. Um, otherwise, it might be slightly wasteful where you could you could support your roster elsewhere. So that's that's the kind of dilemma that I'm going through with him because I wonder what he could be this year, what they still think of him. And I almost wonder if he's a trade candidate above all else. Well, I was going to mention also that the bills are, I believe, $5 million under the salary cap, roughly. Yeah. And that's about the amount of money you want to do business over the course of the season. You don't want to be right up against the cap because if there's an injury situation or you have somebody who's temporarily unavailable, you want to have a little flexibility to sign somebody off the street, pick somebody off of waivers, that type of thing. And Cody Ford, yeah, he's inexpensive because he's on his rookie deal. But he was the 38th overall pick in 2019. So his contract is, it's not insignificant. Right. Uh, right. So if they were to, if they did need some flexibility there, um, Cody Ford's, uh, the fact that he, that the fact that he was a second round pick might uh, work against him. Yeah. And a lot of those guys that I mentioned, Bobby Hart, Greg Manns, um, I'd have to go back and look at Quesenberry's contract, but those guys signed to the veteran minimum and and because you signed they signed to a veteran minimum it actually reduces their their cap hit um to what to lower than what they're actually earning for that season it's kind of little a little hoodwinking in in the salary cap realm and so that might be if if they can save an extra 600k by moving on from Cody Ford, maybe that's worth it to them, but uh, it, it just remains to be seen. I, I do think he has some value out there because offensive line play just in general, is just a mess all over the place. And the, the one thing I keep coming back to is Brandon Bean was able to move Marshall Newhouse for a seventh round pick. Brandon Bean was also able to move Russell Bodine for a seventh round pick. And Russell Bodine was one of the worst centers I've ever seen live in person. 
It may so. be as simple as finding somebody out there among the 31 other teams that liked Cody Ford coming out of Oklahoma. And wants and to thinks, give him a shot. Yep. We have the staff that could maybe salvage this guy. We can unlock it. And there's no shortage of scouts or talent evaluators in any sport, especially with a younger player that thinks we'll fi- we can figure this guy out. They couldn't do it, but we, we can't. Mm-hmm. And there's a hubris involved there, but that that's what's, you know, athletics is filled with hubris. Mm-hmm. Well, there's also the, uh, the Wyatt Teller point because the bills gave up on him prematurely and people might go up. Oh, let's see yeah. if we can get the teller here. I don't think Cody Ford is going to turn into Wyatt, Wyatt Teller, but Not exactly wired the same way. Yeah. So I, I think if they could get like a sixth or seventh round pick for the guy, I would think long and hard about it. It's, it's all about, is he more, is that sixth or seventh round pick worth more? And that four-year deal that comes along with it, is it worth more than the one year of, of backup play you would get from Cody Ford? That's Marshall Newhouse was not a name I've thought about in a long time. <laughs> I think he nice. has a podcast now, if I'm not mistaken. Everyone has He's big into though. electronics, like computers, oh, yeah. building computers and yeah. video games. Super smart guy. Hey, before uh, I let you go, Joe, and, and thanks so much for, for giving me part of your day here. Yeah, no worries. Um, I got to ask you your take on the Hunter, uh, the um, the Holder competition. Do you know what I call Matt Hawk by any chance? Have I heard you say it? And I've, I'm, I, I've, said, I've said it in a couple of different spots. Have you spots. said it in my presence? I might have. I've been calling him Holdinho. <laughs> <laughs> No, I haven't heard. I would have remembered that. <laughs> Just because that's the lone reason he was kind of kept last year. Yes. Um, sign of respect in the uh, Brazilian soccer world to throw the Nho at the end. Um, Ronaldinho, all the like. But yeah, I, I've been calling him Holdinho. But he the, the punting competition has not gone well for him i don't think i mean that's why i said i botched it there uh, but it is the holder competition really yeah yeah and every time we've seen areza um come in there and do the holding um he's been fine it just seemed it it really hasn't seemed like he's double clutched or anything like that and tyler bass seems to be in in sync with him uh i think they probably want to see it for a preseason game or two but like areza has helped has um, kind of trimmed the gap between the two of them in hang time because Hawk is the superior player there, but a has been doing a lot better with it. Uh, the yards per punt is, is a no contest in favor of a and he's on a four year rookie deal, six round pick it to me, it feels closer to over than it does a competition. And I would not be surprised if, if they see a, a nice game from a here this coming Saturday against the Colts and go, all right, we've seen all we need to see and move on. Because if you remember the Tyler Bass and Steven Hauschka situation, once they deemed that they've seen enough with Tyler Bass, they moved on from Steven Hauschka, I believe still in the month of August and tried to give him a chance to hook on elsewhere because they respected him. So I think that could wind up being the case because it's every sign is pointing to a raise of being the punter. Um, maybe they wait till after the second preseason game, but you know, it's, it it would Hawk would have to make a dramatic comeback here, uh, in the late stretches to, to win this job outright and to take it away from a razor. And he still might not even win it. Hawk had a couple of EJ manual hitting the tent type punts yesterday. 
Yeah, the uh, wind picked up right at the wrong time, and it almost hit me. Yeah, it was windy though. Yeah, Areza got a, a couple wind sheared uh, himself. Yeah, he did. But uh, his leg uh, has a tendency to power through that stuff. See the the one punt uh, Hawks first punt yesterday. Uh, it was it was a pretty bad one. I think it went under forty yards, hung in the air for three point seven seconds or something along those lines. His next two punts, he's like, oh, not doing that again. So he kicked it as high into the air as he could. Like his, both the hang times on his next two punts were five point one and five point three. And I'm like, oh, he's 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 going on brand punting here. This is great. Um, but yeah, he kind of rescued his day a little bit. Areza's hang time wasn't the best yesterday, but even still, Areza with two touchbacks and uh, taken away out of his yardage still beat. Or, um, Hawks average punt by seven yards. So it's 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 pretty much looking all uh, the rookies' favor. It's all over but the crying, yeah. as they say. Mm-hmm. They don't say it as much as they used to, though. That was a saying when I was growing up. Not exactly sure exactly what I mean, I guess that means when you've lost. I mean, I'll cry when the Matt versus Matt punt of Palooza is over. It's a great bit. I love it. it hey, the people are clicking, man. People <laughs> love their punt, their punt talk. <laughs> They love the Puntapalooza. Nothing will compare to the Corey versus Car- Corey versus Kari Puntapalooza when they had three punters all with the similar name. But Matt versus Matt being decided by Matthew Smiley is pretty good, too. It's good stuff. Yeah. This is why you have to read Joby Escalia's <laughs> observations every day. I know that that's Jojo's, why. Abzo's. <laughs> At the athletic, read them, study them, memorize them, commit them to your inner soul. We're getting deep here. To at, write them out longhand in your notebook, <laughs> in your journal. Uh, Joe, thanks for this. Yeah, and, of course. Uh, I, one last reminder for everybody to uh, check out. Uh, the Buffalo Beat podcast. That's uh, every day at 2.30 a.m. Uh, live. Uh, be sure to check that out uh, with Matthew Fairburn. No, uh, these, uh, it, 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 is it, does it have a regular schedule? Um, it, once once now the season were, rolls around, yeah, once you have a hockey writer involved, I mean, yeah. are you going to be able to have a, a, a regular schedule? Yeah, for the most part. Um, like, we'll go one a week for the rest of this month. And once the season kicks in, we'll do like a, a preview show and then, and, one half the game that's that's kind of the schedule we've been we've been rolling with the past few seasons um and uh, you know it's, it's the season it, it calls for it two two a week and then once we get in the off season then we, we kind of bump back down to one week maybe a couple of months stuff like that amen yep joe buscalia thanks for doing this thanks and, tg uh, thanks uh, to everybody out there for listening to tim graham and friends brought to you by ctbk cpas and business consultants CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara community through volunteer work and donations and has partnered up with Victory Sports for 2020 and 2021 to keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 
630-2400 and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you. We'll